Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzi, and I am the literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is uh, the weekly podcast of the Books and Arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week we're looking at the October 26th, 2015 issue, which leads off with a review by Amy Henderson of a book uh, by Christine Corton called London Fog, the biography. Um, If you've visited London in the last uh, half century or more, um, you probably haven't noticed anything particular about it, except that it has sort of typical uh, North European weather, perhaps a little uh, colder, wetter, and grayer than what we're generally used to here in the United States. But from the 18th um, well into the 20th century, London was famous for its fog. And um, uh, this book, London Fog, the biography, um, traces the uh, causes of the fog and the extent to which it was incorporated into London's perception of itself and the way the world saw London, um, ranging from descriptions by Dr. Johnson to the famous uh, painting by Claude Monet of Waterloo Bridge um, to, uh, uh, I, I don't know whether they mentioned Fred Astaire singing A Foggy Day in London Town, but it was one of those, um, it was a, a shorthand to some degree for for um, London that I think now would be incomprehensible to most um, visitors. Um, uh, the, the fog being caused, of course, at the time by a combination of environmental but mostly um, uh, uh, what we would now say man-made factors, but it's a it's it's an interesting piece, and uh, the book and the review talks a great deal about how the fog of London um, was an atmospheric uh, device for novelists like Dickens and um, early movies of Jack the Ripper, for example, would invariably show a dark uh, East End neighborhood. Um, um, very sinister in its way, and particularly so because it was um, suffused with, well, what was on the movie side, probably dry ice, but it's supposed to be fog. So it's interesting and 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 uh, fun piece by Amy Henderson. That is followed by a review by Ryan Cole of a book from uh, Indiana University Press called Paul V. McNutt in the Age of FDR by Dean Kotlowski. Who is Paul McNutt, you may ask? Well, in 1940 or so, you wouldn't have had to ask the question. He was a very um, handsome, silver-haired, highly ambitious governor of Indiana who was uh, regarded himself as a likely candidate for the presidency, especially if if Franklin Roosevelt had uh, decided against seeking a third term. And Roosevelt, to some degree, um, both liked McNutt, he was an ardent New Dealer, but also was a little worried about him. And and toward the end of his second uh, term, uh, Roosevelt's second term, that is, he appointed McNutt as governor general of the Philippines, partly to give him some foreign policy uh, experience and partly to get him out of the country. In those days, being governor general of the Philippines meant that you really were out of sight and out of mind for the most part. That wouldn't be true true in today's age, of course. But anyway, uh, in the long term, McNutt, of course, FDR did run for his third and then a fourth term, and McNutt never did become president. But 
I guess um, one could say he probably came as close to it as any Indianan has in the 20th century, but it's also an interesting profile of a very successful, very charismatic, um, progressive politician um, who loomed very large in his time and, as I say, was generally regarded as a one of three or four very plausible Democratic successors to Franklin D. Roosevelt, who is today almost completely forgotten and reminds us of who he was and the review uh, tells the story very nicely um, a lesson both for um, uh, politicians and um, people in general about the uh, shall we say the evanescent nature of such things that is followed by a very charming essay by Ann Marlowe who usually writes about other things but it's a tribute to, to um, one of her favorite novelists Anthony Trollope Trollope um, has come back in favor to some degree in our time. He was, he was, of course, the sort of one might call the archetypal, very industrious, um, very social-minded mid-Victorian uh, novelist of mid-Victorian England. Uh, he's always had his admirers, um, but he seems to be uh, coming into his own, particularly now because his closely observed, um, one might say, semi-satirical novels about about political and 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 uh, rural England um, resonate in in our society in a curious sort of way, and and of course, apart from Trollope's astonishing uh, industry, um, he was a very interesting prose stylist, which Anne Marlowe uh, wraps up very nicely in her piece. That is followed by a a, 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 a an essay by Stephen Schwartz for the. Uh, one might say the serious historians among our readers, but it's an it's an interesting book. It's it's called Hitler's Shadow Empire: Nazi Economics and the Spanish Civil War by Pier Paolo Barbieri, published by Harvard University Press. Um, the Spanish Civil War is, of course, the great. It was is, is often regarded as the uh, rehearsal for the Second World War, since the the war between the Republicans and the Nationalists in Spain. Uh, became a proxy struggle between Soviet Russia and Nazi Germany. Um, we all know that, and of course, um, leftists in this country and in Europe flocked to the Republican side. Um, but the uh, support, if you can, uh, uh, that 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 Germany, for example, offered to the nationalist side is was more complicated than mere ideology. It really was actually governed by by economic policy as much as anything, which sounds a bit dry as dust, but it actually, the book actually posits some interesting theories about what motivated the Germans, um, who ordinarily wouldn't have taken any strong interest in in Spain's internal struggle, since it would have been difficult to play a decisive role, but Germany at that time, uh, among other things, was very much in need of raw materials, which Spain had, and so it behooved Germany to some degree to to take an interest in the outcome of the Civil War. So it's an interesting idea, and Stephen Schwartz, um, who's a walking encyclopedia of that uh, era in, in European history, and especially in the Spanish Civil War, uh, offers a, a um, fascinating uh, essay about it. That is followed by a piece by uh, Paul de Quenoy, who has written about opera for these pages, but... Um, He's talking about the uh, Metropolitan Opera's current production of, of um, Verdi's Otello, 
um, which for the first time in the history of the Met, um, uh, the, 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 the singer who plays Othello um, is not playing him uh, with, a, with a makeup that would make him look like a, a Moor, a North African. Um, we're, we're in a very, very um, curious and sensitive moment uh, in political correctness in the New York theater. As you, as, as you may know, the Gilbert and Sullivan players had to cancel their production this season of The Mikado because there were um, people who objected to uh, non-Asian uh, uh, actors performing as Japanese um, and now we have Othello, uh, who's, of course, in any production of either Shakespeare's plays or Verdi's opera, is always represented to look like the, the North African that he was, um, now looks like uh, just any ordinary um, um, pale-faced European. So whether this is progress or not, um, uh, I leave to your judgment, but Paul de Quenoy has uh, his own views on the subject, which are expressed very vigorously and very interestingly. John Podhoritz this week looks at the new um, uh, uh, biopic about Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple, um, the screenplay of which was written by Aaron Sorkin. Um, I can sum it up in a few words to the effect that if you've seen, ever seen an Aaron Sorkin television program or filmed screenplay, you have a notion of some of the stylistic mannerisms we've come to know. But John has a very interesting and, if I may say, amusing take on what this, um, how this manifests itself in um, Steve Jobs, the movie, uh, as always, um, no matter what you may think of the movie in question or even the subject of the movie, John uh, manages to make it uh, immensely interesting. And that is the Books and Arts section of the Weekly Standard for the week of uh, the issue of October 26th. I thank you very much for joining me for this podcast, and as always, I look forward to uh, speaking with you again very soon.